Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today, we're going to be talking about school climate and wellness. We're going to be talking about social emotional learning. And we're going to be putting that in the context of the great city of New York that I love. I'm really pleased today to be joined by two guests, one of whom our listeners should be familiar with. We have David Adams, who is the CEO of the Urban Assembly. David's been on the show twice before. This is now his third appearance. Welcome back, David. You now qualify for a trending in ed refrigerator magnet. <laughs> Good job by you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. I just uh, when you retire my number, let the folks know that I broke the records and that I deserve that opportunity. So thanks for bringing me back. Awesome. Awesome. Great to have you. We'll talk more with you specifically about social emotional learning, among other things, and, and some of the great work you're doing at the Urban Assembly. And then as if that's not enough, we have more. We also have Elizabeth Stranzel, who's the Director of Policy in the Division of School Climate and Wellness as part of the Board of Education for the City of New York. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am very happy to be here. Yeah, and the work is zeitgeisty, as I like to say. It's very much a topic that is on the rise. And David, I know we talked about how social-emotional learning is not a trend. It's even more than a trend. And there's a lot that we're going to want to get into, even around the backlash against social-emotional learning and some of that trend, which is, is really surprising, but also worth maybe a little bit more of our attention in a bit. Before we get to that, we normally ask our guests for their origin stories. I think I'll begin with you, Elizabeth, because it's your first appearance, and then we can get the lightning version of David's origin story for folks who may not have heard the, uh, him on the show before. Elizabeth, can you catch us up on what got you to this point in your professional life? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you. I started my career as a school psychologist and actually say that I found education by accident because my passion is really mental health, social emotional development and connecting with young people. And it just so happened that doing that in schools was a way to connect with young people in a natural environment. So I accidentally found my way in schools and realized that I liked it. And, and it was a great place to do that work and to connect with young people and adults. And so I spent a lot of time as a school psychologist and then over the years held various roles in like coaching and consultation, serving as a social emotional learning specialist for a group of schools with Chicago Public Schools, transitioning to New York City and working um, in the charter school space as a dean of students, director of school culture and family engagement, and then ultimately now doing policy work with the division of school climate and wellness in the DOE. So. Social and emotional learning and mental health has been the common thread that that has you know woven throughout my career and, and have been grateful to have opportunities to do direct service right on the ground with students and families, some more work coaching and now strategy and policy work. It's been a tremendous privilege and I'm excited to be here to talk about. Yeah, that's awesome. And you and David and team have been working together based on some of the, the groundbreaking work that the Urban Assembly has done around implementing social and emotional learning programs. I'm going to get it out of the way here, David. I get social emotional baby because our listeners, they would just, <laughs> they just want it. They Mike. want me to get it. Get, let's get it over. Let's move on. But Whitney's still gone too soon. <laughs> social emotional learning is very much central to your narrative. And in case folks didn't uh, catch our previous episodes, can you catch folks up on, on who you are and, and how you got to this point in, in your professional life? 
as Elizabeth actually talked about, I similarly, I was trained as a school psychologist, but before that I went to Rutgers University, had the privilege of working for Dr. Maurice Elias, who really helped me think about the relationship of cognitive skills, social and emotional skills towards academic achievement, equity, and growth as community. Mm-hmm. From there, I spent some time in New York City, worked at the Center for Social and Emotional Learning, which is now the National School Climate Center, moved over to Yale University. I spent a year at the Health Emotion Behavior Lab, which is now the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Went to England. I spent a year there really figuring out and thinking through the translation of research to practice. Came back, got married. I worked in District 75 here in New York City, which is our uh, district for students with severe special needs. I focused on students classified as emotional disturbed, uh, students classified as autism. Thought about social emotional learning in that context. Started having my two kids, Elijah and Isaiah, during that time. Moved over to the Urban Assembly as the Director of Social Emotional Learning. Senior Director of Strategy, and now the Chief Executive Officer. So uh, I like to say I got bit by a radioactive social and emotional learning spider, Mm. uh, but this is the actual kind of uh, trajectory of my origin story. Nice. I'm already uh, brainstorming about the costume design there, but I'm going to hold off on that. There's some really interesting words that each of you are using to describe what we're talking about, one of which is school climate and the focus on school climate and wellness, which is another trend. Elizabeth, it's in your title, and it is something that I imagine you have some expertise in and something you have, you can help us understand a little bit better. So can you describe what school climate is and and really what the mission is for the division of school climate and wellness? Yes, absolutely. So our division and the way that we define school climate and wellness within our division is that we are organized around the concept of supporting the whole child. So attending to the social, emotional, physical, and mental health needs that young people have and supporting them as people and centering their humanity in the learning experience. Mm -hmm. So our mission as a division is to ensure that schools are safe, supportive, affirming environments that create the conditions for young people to thrive to thrive academically, socially, and emotionally. And many of these supports actually lived in different places within the DOE prior to 2018 and the forming of our unique division. And by organizing as one unit, we've really been able to build coherence, to improve communication, to improve efficiency, and affirm and and solidify the importance of naming school climate and wellness as an integral part of school for Mm -hmm. students, for staff, and for families. And so, Within our division, we, we have six different offices, the Office of Equity and Access, the Office of Community Schools, Office of School Health, Safety and Youth Development, Athletics, and School Wellness. And so mm-hmm. for those less familiar with the DOE, what that really breaks down to are bodies of work like social and emotional learning, physical education, health and wellness, counseling and crisis support, mm-hmm. athletics, equity and access, and all types of you know, bodies of work related to mental health equity and how do you access school nurses, social workers, yeah. mental health clinics. So uh, it's really about supporting the whole child, about understanding that students are people and, and learners and people first. And so at, as an office, we exist to strengthen the assets that young people bring into the community and to yeah. ensure that they have the tools and resources to thrive, mm-hmm. to thrive as students, as friends, and ultimately as professionals and, and members of their community in the future. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. That sounds non-controversial to be in support of these objectives. And then in particular, over the last few years, 
the awareness of the trauma that everyone's been going through and the importance of grace, the importance of empathy are, are trends that I've been hearing many more folks talk about these days. At the same time, there has been the, the culture war aspect of educational policy that I was hoping social emotional learning would be able to be outside of, and that it's something that everyone would support, supporting the whole child, as you're saying, Elizabeth. But unfortunately, there are cases now where SEL, like other TLAs, three-letter acronyms, are becoming part of the culture war that is out there. David, you recently wrote a piece in the Daily News that has nice read that I'll be sharing out to our listeners. Hopefully folks get a chance to check that out or even check it out while you're listening. But can you catch us up on where we are today around SEL and how in, in some ways it's been brought into the polarization and uh, more rancorous public discourse around education these days? I absolutely can, Mike. So the first thing I'll say is that social emotional learning has a rich body of literature behind it in terms of research, helping us to really ground the work that we're doing in, in science. And just to jump in, it's like yeah. you have the receipts, like you can yeah. show your work. Yes. Yeah, yeah yes. absolutely. The concept of social emotional learning is not new. We know, for example, Horace Mann, when he put together the American school systems and democracy up in Massachusetts, was really focused on what does it mean to prepare the whole child to participate in community. As Elizabeth talked about, we know that the idea of public schooling, as we see in the United States, was really grounded in this notion of how do we participate in a democracy? How do we disagree without being disagreeable? How do we ensure that people have the skills, not only academic, but also social and emotional, to move us forward in community? Mm -hmm. And so what the, the field of SEL was able to do is really ground these things in scientific literature. This is the work linking social and emotional learning to academic outcomes, linking social and emotional learning to mental health supports and, and promotive mental health outcomes, linking social and emotional skills to things like reduced criminality, reduced drug use, less likely for young people to engage in risky sexual behavior. These are the outcomes of what it means to be in community, um, working together to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing folks uh, who are looking at this idea of social and emotional learning um, and trying to divorce the role of schools in promoting community by saying that we should only be teaching math and science by only teaching reading and that everything else belongs to parents, separating schools from our community. Mm -hmm. um, and we know there's a rich tradition of local control for schools. Mm -hmm. We have boards of education across the country that are locally elected that represent local interests most of the power for education comes at the state level, not the federal government. And these are all reflective of local control and education. And even those local controls have reflected the importance of social and emotional learning. We see 50 states um, have engaged in, in supports around social and emotional learning. 42 states have engaged in CASEL's collaborating state initiative. Mm -hmm. And these are reflective of a common understanding that when people to get together and think about what kind of young person needs to contribute to our community, both the skills, what they can do, but also who they are. Social and emotional skills are a part of that. The folks who are critiquing us in terms of this work are critiquing us based on misinformation about what we do and what we care about. We do care about the development of skills for young people. We do care about how people are operating in community and being able to solve problems. And we do care about what it means to 
understand those problems, not only in the mathematical sense, but in the, how do I work together in community? How do I move together in community? And those are the things that our young people should be able to do when they graduate our schools. Yeah. It's almost like folks are conflating a, a, a what with a how. What you're talking about these days can very easily become a political hot potato that's a topic of a separate podcast that I do want to have, and I'm not sure who I'm going to be talking to, but just around issues around free speech and what's okay to teach in terms of content, what things are, are perhaps triggering, which is also interestingly a, a social emotional frame. But I think what's what people miss frequently is we're talking about a how, we're talking about how to interact in community, how to interact in groups. And to me, there's a direct line, not just between the health and wellness of that, but also well, I guess it is related in that it's employability and the future of work where humans are going to need increasingly better interpersonal skills and digitally savvy interpersonal skills to be able to compete in the future workplace. Elizabeth, any perspective on the connection between maybe the upside of good school wellness and climate to life outcomes down the road? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Dave alluded to it and I, I'm happy to elaborate on that. The research is very clear that when students have access to social and emotional learning instruction, they perform better academically. They have closer relationships with students and adults at school. They experience a greater sense of belonging. We see decreases in misconduct, suspensions, and things that can have a whole cascade. We're very aware of the school-to-prison pipeline and the implications that school discipline can have on long-term trajectories. Mm. There's also research from employers that say that, yes, potential candidates need technical skills, but what's most important and also most difficult to find are the soft skills, mm -hmm. critical thinking, collaboration, communication. So mm -hmm. this is well-documented, and we know this intellectually, but I think fear can erode that understanding. And so mm. by being transparent around when we say social emotional learning here in the DOE and in the Urban Assembly, these are the skills that we're, yeah. we're talking about decision-making. We're talking about relationships, communication. And I think that's really a, a point of growth for us is we want every single family to understand this is strengths-based work. This is asset-based work. We want to acknowledge and affirm what your children are doing. We want families to understand the connection between SEL and academics, SEL in college, SEL in career. Mm -hmm. This is what I want for myself as a mom. Right. I'm a mom of a DOE student. And I want to know that her teacher sees her as a whole person. And her teacher is not just thinking about the reading that she's working on in kindergarten, but right. what Mina is going to look like when she's 18, 21, and 25. Right. And, and, and this is how we do that work. This mm -hmm. is how we make those bridges. And there's just so much, not just research, but personal experience. When we think about our own experiences in schools, we think about the teachers we had relationships with. Mm -hmm. We think about the opportunities we had to practice. And that's what we're calling on. Like mm -hmm. when I'm working with Dave, yeah, we're talking about social emotional learning, but I'm using communication to be successful in the interaction. I'm using self-awareness to monitor, am I hogging the mic? Right. I'm using social awareness to read the room. Like, mm -hmm. These are the skills that we know that we're all using. And when we can think about it in common sense, plain language, I think it cuts through a lot of that. And there's a lot of common ground there. Yeah, I'm glad you got into some of the specifics too, because that was something that struck me in the previous conversations that I had with David. And some folks will just drop SEL bombs and mm -hmm. act as though everyone clearly what I mean when I say SEL mm -hmm where what I've been struck by, and I know there's an assessment now that is being used to 
assess uh, how strong and resilient our, our kids are in, in schools, which is, is one of the next topics I wanted to get into maybe with you, David, but just generally speaking, the specificity of what SEL is as described by Castle and this body of research is where I think ultimately spreading the good information about what it actually is should help dispel some of that misinformation and get this back safely into a non-controversial, let's help lift up all of our kids with better practices. Practice? We're talking about, talk about <laughs> practice. But thoughts on this, on how, how to spell out some of the specificity and how you were able to turn this into something that's a little bit more measurable? Well, first, I just want to shout out Elizabeth because she really does a good job at identifying and demystifying some of these ideas. The Fordham Institute had put out recently a report that said that when parents are exposed to some of the specifics of what social emotional learning is, support goes up very strongly. And so there's an idea, as you said, Mike, about social emotional learning, but then there are specifics. And so as with the Urban Assembly, we talk about interpersonal skills, things like communication and relationship skills intrapersonal skills. That's how am I feeling, my self-awareness, my self-management. And all these things are about solving problems. And so when we graduate young people and when we work with other organizations to help them think about how they want to graduate young people, the focus is on how do we graduate young people who can solve problems? And I went to a school the other day and I asked them, what kind of problems do you solve? And they said, like math problems? I was like, yeah, okay. Any other problems? And they're like, you know, just math problems. What else? You've never had an issue with a, a brother or a sister? Or, and they're like, oh yeah, I guess I solved those. And how have you learned to do those? We get in trouble when we don't solve them. And imagine if, if our schools really invested, and this is what's happening now in New York City and beyond, in ensuring that our young people don't have to get into trouble in order to learn how to solve the problems of life. And these are things like making good decisions, being aware of your emotions. Elizabeth talked about this. We've all been in a meeting where somebody just goes on about two, three, maybe four minutes too long yeah. to keep folks' attention. Imagine a meeting where everybody's aware of how much time they're taking on the mic. Right. Imagine a meeting or, or family dinner where we're all aware of the perspectives of others. And so when we're having disagreements, we're doing so by speaking to the arguments other people are talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. What would our country look like yeah. if we were able to identify our emotions and solve problems in line with our intent, rather than just roll over and, and do what feels good in that moment. And that's, right. what, that's what we care about. Mm -hmm. um, that's what parents care about when you explain it that way. And that's why you're seeing the investment across the country in helping young people name these skills, mm -hmm. name these skills for teachers, name these skills for parents, so we can all work together and improve our communities. Yeah, that's great. I'm already envisioning a public service announcement of an SEL Thanksgiving table where folks are, are, are engaging in all the best practices to, to make sure that uh, the gravy and mashed potatoes continue to move around as, as, along with the, the, the talk time. I, as a parent of a soon-to-be three-year-old who's now in the New York City school system as part of the universal 3K that is here, which I think is worth noting on a number of fronts. First off, it's amazing that it's here, and it's amazing that focus doesn't pick kids up maybe further down the road than they might need to be picked up. It's clear that a lot of this stuff starts early. And also in the realm of non-controversial is social emotional learning for pre-K through K. There's a book out there, everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. In some ways we stopped teaching 
those skills at kindergarten to our own detriment. I'd love to hear a little more from you, Elizabeth, around what it's like to look at that full span of time and to think about how the interventions relate to one another and where the policy in New York might actually be cutting edge in a really uplifting way, which is also, I think, a message that needs to get out there. One of the things I really like about this is there is a focus on positivity and optimism, which is desperately needed in this day and age. But can you pick up a little bit on the way in which these things relate? And and it's not, this podcast is not specifically about early childhood education, but with its hosts going through it, first person perspective, we wind up there a lot. But, but any thoughts uh, on anything I just laid out there for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say I'm so grateful that my daughter has been a DOE student since 3K. This is now her third year. She's in kindergarten. And mm-hmm. so I know well that this that's a real foundation in early childhood. I think what's exciting about this is that we have the opportunity through Strong Resilient NYC and in our partnership with Urban Assembly to scale citywide what we know works well and what we've seen be successful in the DOE so far. So mm-hmm. This school year and post-pandemic is not the first time that the DOE started thinking about social emotional learning post-kindergarten. We've been investing for several years, especially under the current administration, in the expansion of what we would call like universal social emotional learning programs. And what I mean by that is that programs that are implemented school-wide every classroom, every student to proactively build social and emotional skills, to recognize assets in young people, to build on those competencies. And what we're doing is normalizing that as a part of the school. Yes, I'm hearing about how my child is progressing in handwriting and in math and in problem solving, but I'm also understanding does she have routines? Does she get along with peers? Like we're moving the needle in understanding this as just a foundational component of school. Mm -hmm. And that looks different in kindergarten than it does in 10th grade, but the value and the affirmation of it as a core part of learning is what we have been doing and are continuing to do. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of the work that we did pre-pandemic really positioned us to be able to go to the next level with something like the Strong Resilient NYC. So you may hear in certain circles, things like reference to social emotional learning through like program my school does restorative practices or my school does harmony or ruler or health education and there are a lot of very strong models that we use for k-8 we have different models for 9 through 12 but the but the most important thing is not which program did you use it's the fact that you're naming social and emotional skills as a core part of daily instruction yeah and i think that's where we're continuing to go is that it's not just Social emotional learning doesn't just happen for 20 minutes on a Tuesday afternoon when I use this prepackaged curriculum. I understand as an educator that social emotional skills are embedded in learning. If I'm going to be successful on complex tasks, I have to recognize this is challenging for me. I have to be able to pace my time. I have to be able to say, wait a minute, I need to take a two minute break and come back. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to communicate my ideas. So we can't get away from social emotional learning in instruction, even if we wanted to. And what we've been able to do now is really expand the work that we're doing, normalize it as a part of school and deepen the way that it lives in classrooms every single day. So that cell is not this thing over here that the counselor does. This is how we do school and and everyone has a role in that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And I'm always struck by how SEL, certain trends have been accelerated by the, the tumultuous times we've been living in the past couple of years. And that's where SEL, in terms of what people are talking about, what they're thinking about, is something that I think has really been rising in the collective consciousness 
to the point where maybe that's even triggering a little bit of the backlash just because folks are concerned when there are groundswells like this. But it does feel like we've all gone through very emotionally challenging experiences in the past two years in a way that I think that there's a real hunger for this. And, and I'm seeing it also emerge more in the private sector when I talk uh, about like workforce development and trying to develop those interpersonal skills, very similar to the ones both of you have been describing. Those are the skills that ultimately lead to better outcomes in terms of organizational climate and work culture. And it's, it's an interesting time to try to divorce that from our K-12 system where like at some point someone's going to have to pick up the ball. And from what I've seen, higher ed is not in a much better position to smooth that training set out, which, which basically leaves it to employers who in many cases may wind up not hiring someone who lacks this skill set or this really this mindset even more so than the skill set. And then David, you've been closer to the assessment side. You've been working with educators who are now implementing the program and understanding what's working. There's a screener out there now. It's a good screener in this case. It's not about not including people. It's more about understanding the strengths of, that we can build on as a foundation can you describe what's going on in terms of how you're measuring how things are working and then maybe a little bit of the teacher response? Sure. Let me just take a step back because I think you said something that's really important. I want to name this. Elizabeth talked about what it looks like from pre-K to th third grade. And there is no question that employers are asking for employees who have highly effective social emotional skills. There is no question that collaboration, if you look at the common core, uh, the math performance standards, these are what young people need to be able to do, defend an argument, defend an idea, construct an argument, work together. There's no question that this is what employers are looking for. And it is our responsibility beyond the idea of building community to graduate young people who are employable. So I just want, I want to name that because I think most of the concern tends to be in the high school level with regards to uh, social emotional learning versus academics. And mm -hmm. Elizabeth had talked about this as well. All academics uh, involve social emotional skills. Most instructional approaches activate social-emotional competencies, and some students are at a much higher disadvantage for not having been exposed to those competencies in a way that would allow us to all be on the same playing field because we understand the interactions and processes that are occurring. Just a quick piece on those um, ideas. I think the employability matters. I think all instructional approaches are social-emotional, and I think the better we are naming these things, the easier it is for teachers and students to be successful at it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use this to segue into our assessment that we're talking about. So uh, I've been working very closely with the Department of Education on Strong Resilient NYC. And uh, the goal of Strong Resilient NYC is really to have young people and teachers elevate the social and emotional strengths that they have, enhance those strengths, develop opportunities for growth, and then ensure that schools are organized around multi-tiered systems of support to identify and support students across those range of social emotional competency. So if you have a student with a strength um, in personal uh, responsibility, for example, how is that student interacting and supporting the rest of the classroom around developing that competency? If you have a student who may be in need of more support for self-management, what are the supports that the schools have in place to make that happen? Mm -hmm. uh, so our goal is to ensure that we name these things. And I just want to 
I want to talk about what it means to name, right? Um, when we name and we make the implicit explicit, we give people power and control. And so when social and emotional learning is implicit, or when uh, we just use the term without naming the competencies or the subskills, folks who are most savvy benefit. But when we name these things and tell our teachers, when you do a turn and talk, not only does this mean you're thinking about content, but it means that you're looking at active listening, you're looking at communication skills, you're looking at perspective taking skills as students learn to understand things from the perspective of another person. Mm -hmm. Then those names create the frames and then the names and the frames create those actions. Mm. So this work with Strong Resilient NYC um, is based in the DESA. That's the instrument that we're using to give students feedback and to give parents feedback. And the goal is to name these pieces so that schools can then support our young people, enhance the skills that they already have, and develop the areas of need that our schools can be responsive to. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. And it is interesting, I was mentioning to the two of you before we started recording, and David, we wound up talking about this on our, our previous episode, the role of parents in the educational conversation is certainly changed than it was, say, a couple of years ago, and has changed in many different dimensions. But perhaps first and foremost is just the role of the parents in the educational delivery and the fact that more was put on them. And then now it's evolving to something different. Elizabeth, in particular, in the role that you're fulfilling, I imagine the connection to parents has, has been a long, long-standing area of focus for you. But I also imagine it's been transformed a little bit in, in the recent years. Can you share a little bit about your perspective on what it's like to engage with parents and, and any thoughts on, on how that's been transformed in, in recent years? Yeah, our understanding as a division is that parents know their students best and families are their first teacher. And mm -hmm. so the success of students in school is really contingent on meaningful family partnership. What I know for myself as a parent and what I feel like I hear from many other parents and certainly what we hear when we engage with families is parents don't want to just receive information. They want to be active partners. So that means that communication is going two directions. That mm -hmm. means the responsibility and ownership of student success is going both ways, that you're co-creating an experience and an opportunity for young people. Parents don't just want the flyer in the backpack. They want to be invited into the conversation. And I think that in the last almost two years now, since the pandemic, we've actually had tremendous growth in our ability to access and engage with families because of digital mm -hmm. spaces and technology, which has been incredible. So leveraging that is, is an opportunity for us. What I find and what resounds with me the most is just honoring parents as people who are experts in their children, mm -hmm. honoring the lived experiences that they have had and bringing them in meaningfully to the conversation. Family engagement is going to look different culturally. It's going to look different based on the age of a child. It's going to look different for a single working mom than it is someone in different circumstances. So it, it looks different, but we have to be grounded in the value that families are assets and that they can help us to elevate the assets of young people. And mm -hmm. so whether we're talking about an assessment or we're talking about social emotional learning more broadly, like how are you intentionally and thoughtfully creating a two-directional system for families to offer what they know about young people and to contribute to the community. Something that we did in the past year that was tremendous was we launched something called the Family and Community Wellness Collective in partnership with parent and uh, family advocates, where we have 
family members and parents who are trained as ambassadors of mental health and social emotional learning, providing support directly to their schools. There is this huge universe of families that want to be partners and that have so much to contribute. And I think what the past nearly two years and beyond has taught us is to be more creative in, in leveraging those resources and seeing how much richer the support is as a result. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And then the other party in the conversation is the teacher mm-hmm. and David, I know you work with many different teachers across urban assembly, I believe 23 schools. So it's a really big network of teachers out there. And I know a big part of your job is visiting the schools and engaging in the, the school culture and helping to, to train and keep the teachers motivated. It's a really hard time to be an educator. And as someone who's focused on social, emotional health and wellness, how do we make sure that our teachers are getting the support that they need in this time where they're fulfilling such a critical role and it's a, not an easy job? It's not an easy job, Mike. And I'm so proud of the work that our teachers are doing here at the Urban Assembly, but across the city and across the country. They are truly the folks that kids are connecting to, who are creating protective learning environments for our young people, who are going through a lot themselves, but still keeping their eye on the prize. And our prize is the next generation of Americans, mm-hmm. uh, next generation of New Yorkers, the next generations of Palmers or Stranzels or Adamses, right? And we do that in community, right? Working with parents, working with teachers, working uh, with clergymen, we are all investing in our young people. And when we do that, we take a generation of young people who look back and say, thank you for the things that you've given me that allow me to move forward, solve problems and contribute to my community. And so this is a time that I think that we're under an enormous amount of stress in the education space. And so what we need to continue to do is understand that stress, honor that stress, but also recognize that we're doing it for a purpose. Yeah, Uh, We're doing it for young people. We're doing it for little kids who uh, roll up and give you a hug. We're doing it for the future versions of ourselves who run us down in the subway and you're getting all a little nervous. And it's just a Bobby from your third grade classroom who said, Mr. Adams, I just want to sit down and say thank you for what you told me that day. That right. really helped me motivate me and, and help me be where I'm at. I was over at one of our schools, the School for Law, Government and Justice, and we had some alumni visit and he's working at Google. And I talked to him about getting back and, and mentoring And he was like, of course, I'm about the life. Um, I'm about giving back to the people who gave to me. So I I understand and I recognize this is a really difficult time, but I think the most important things that we do in life are done under difficult conditions. And this is one of the most important things that we can do as educators to support our young people. Yeah. And it does remind me, I know you have a military background in addition to thanking people for their military service, thanking our educators for their service to our our lives and our, our children. So shout out to, to Miss Katie Matthews, uh, pre-K teacher who really is, once it's personalized to the level that your child is bonding with another person and you do understand in terms of their social and emotional development, it needs to be more than just the parents who are providing that sense of community and connection. It, it, it certainly has been A bit of an awakening for me going through that lived experience. As we're getting closer to conclusion, this is where we go a little more freestyle in terms of what you might want to talk about. Is there anything out there in the world that is capturing your attention these days that you think our listeners might be interested in? Feel free to reinforce your main objectives. Stay on target, Red Leader, if you'd like. But any other 
things out there that you think are interesting or worth noting that you want to make sure our listeners hear about? Let me turn it over to Elizabeth, because what I really want to do is make sure that folks catch some of the inspiring things that are happening in New York around the Strong Resilient NYC. We lead the way here in New York City. We're happy to be the best city in the country. And I just want to let Elizabeth talk a little bit about what we've accomplished since we've done this work so that other folks recognize that they can do the same thing. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I think a lot of the conversation in family or community or even some staff circles has been exclusive to the DESA. And what I really I want to emphasize is that the use of a social emotional assessment is a tool that we're proud of. It's a strengths-based, asset-based instrument that is helping us take our work to the next level. But what is the most important is the work that we're doing every single day and how we're leveraging that assessment to advance the work that we're doing in schools. Mm -hmm. So being proactive about the building of skills, about identifying of strengths and being responsive through the use of data, through knowing students well, through relationships, how we're being responsive to situations where students might might need more. And Mm -hmm. I think what we are so excited by is what we're seeing in the results of the screener, which is that New York City students are strong and they have tremendous skills. And we're seeing overwhelmingly positive strengths and assets that they have. Um, We are seeing the greatest areas of strength in their social and relationship skills, which was not a huge surprise for us because as a school system, we've been investing in restorative practices and other circle practices, community relationship building practices. So we felt really affirmed by that. And we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to identify areas for growth and how we can lean in and and what there is to focus on. So the biggest success is in seeing the strengths of our young people. We have seen incredibly innovative practices from teachers and from schools. We've had over 70,000 staff members participate in professional learning, which is incredible. We have been able to administer the assessment to over 90% of eligible students, which is tremendous. Developing a common language around social emotional learning in a system of this size is just unprecedented and something that really positions us to go to the next level because mm-hmm. we are now norming this as part of the conversation in schools. And yeah. so we're just so excited. There's so many more resources and tools to come. We're envisioning lesson plans and classroom practices and goal setting templates. Just, there's just so much. Like this is just so exciting for us. And we're so inspired by the way that our teachers and educators have shown up and continue to show up for young people and their social emotional skills. We're affirmed and excited about the strengths that our young people have. And we really just look forward to deepening the work and doing that work in partnership with the Urban Assembly, in partnership with families and communities, and seeing just the unlimited potential that our young people have when they're supported is so exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And in some ways you need the, the resistance, the, the pressure test in some ways to, to demonstrate your resilience and in some ways the fact that we've gone through this collective ordeal, perhaps it is a silver lining, a ray of hope there is that it's giving us an opportunity to come to an awakening around SEL and figure out how to support the resilience that's there, the resilience that those of us who love the city of New York really believe in our core is part of what makes the city great. Uh, And makes everywhere great. We're not just a New York City podcast. We're approaching our conclusion here. Thanks again, David Adams and Elizabeth Stanzel for joining me on Trending in Education today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, Look forward to seeing you again. Remember, uh, my number's up in the rafters, so you can take it down when I'm on your show again. 
Awesome. And Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. It's been incredible to be part of the conversation. It's a privilege to do the work and look forward to the opportunity to come back again. Awesome. And hopefully our, our listeners will check out our show page where we'll include all the relevant links to the Urban Assembly and the work that Elizabeth is doing with a strong and resilient NYC for the city of New York. And if you're curious about social emotional learning, Castle, if you're thinking about trends, LL Cool J famously said, don't call it a comeback. I, I, you might even want to say, don't call it a trend. It's something that's even bigger. And hopefully it's a rising tide that folks are awakening to. Hopefully our listeners are enjoying what we're hearing. If you like what you're hearing, share the show with a friend, write us a review, share the good word. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.